I think today. Pardon? So it's, it's making its way up. Great. Uh, today we have the privilege of hearing from uh, Andy, um, but before he preaches to us in a moment, we've just got a few questions just to introduce Andy to our church family. Um, Andy, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, who you are, and, and how do we know you here at Christchurch, particularly for those uh, who haven't met you before. Um, I am Andy Atkins. I'm married to Sarah, and in fact, this was our home church until only 18 months or so ago. Um, so many of you know me much too well, and Sarah and our kids indeed uh, Jessica, our youngest, has a godmother in the congregation, Norma at the back, so she'll be up to see Norma later. Um, so we're, we have been very much part of this church and miss it greatly. Um, but Sarah was ordained, so I am being, in official Church of England speak, <laughs> I am being the supportive spouse, and I, I have followed her to Ham, where she is curate, so I now worship there um, under her authority. How about that? Exciting. Uh, and, and you're not just here... Uh, to say hello to us again, but you do have another role. What, what is it that you do at the moment, Andy? What's ah, so yes, work. Um, I uh, lead something called Russia UK. It's a Christian conservation charity, and in fact, Christchurch um, has supported it recently, so thank you very much. Um, we, we do many things, but basically we are trying to help Christians and churches to care for God's creation. So the eco-church scheme that you're part of here is something that a Russia runs, and this year we're very involved in something called Climate Sunday, which is what brings me here today to tell you about that initiative, which you're also part of, even if you didn't know it, but you're about to find out a lot more. <laughs> Great. Uh, and if you want to find out more about Arosha, um, how can we do that? What, where, where can we go to Thank you. Very kind. Yes, yeah, so I'm, being, I'm being head of a coalition today, um, but of course, Arosha behind the scenes needs help and, 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 and wants to give you help. So there's a whole load of resources at the back. Um, magazines on different issues, how to care for creation in your church, links between um, nature and human well-being, all sorts of things that might interest you. It says three pounds on it. For you, it's free. Ah. Um, uh, you're the old home gang, you know. So do take that. And also, this, if you want to join something called Wild Christian, sounds wild, doesn't it? Sounds wild. But it's our scheme to help individuals and families look after nature in their home and, oh, and, and in the community. Completely free, monthly resources, ideas creative stuff, um, just put your name on the thing at the back and I'll sign you up to that. It's uh, a those, service we provide for families to help those them. those watching at home, is there a website they can go to as well? Uh, of course there is a website, just look up arosha.org.uk. Uh, and that's A-R-O-C-H-A? A-R-O-C-H-A, it's actually a Portuguese name and it means the rock, ah. because it was started by a crazy Anglican vicar <laughs> in Portugal and named after a local big rock. It's a long story, but we're now part of an international family. There are are Russia's in 20 different countries, wow. so I run the UK bit. Brilliant. Uh, Andy, ha firstly, uh, finally, before um, we invite back in a, in a bit, but how can we be praying for you, for your family, for, for Arosha particularly? Thank you very much. Yes, yeah, so I guess um, uh, you'll know this. Um, we're still adjusting to Sarah being uh, ordained and then having to work on Sundays. Before it was me preaching in churches on Sunday, now it's her as well. So just pray for the family as we juggle that one and figure out, uh, you know, it's still quite new, um, where we find time together and, uh, and, and so on. And then I think for actually the whole country this year, that's a very big prayer, but we have such an opportunity this year, but also such a responsibility with the G7 summit, as we've already prayed, taking place this weekend right now, and then COP at the end of the year. I think I'm, I'm very involved in, in trying to coordinate churches' action around that. So I pray for all of us in churches and what we can do, but I'd appreciate prayers for, I guess, myself and my own role in in coordinating that church's action behind the, t behind the scenes. So I chair 
this coalition called Climate Sunday, which has got Church of England, Methodist, Church of Scotland, Church of Wales, uh, all sorts of people you know and several you don't, if you know what I mean, all joined up to try and make a difference this year. So yeah, prayers for wisdom as I chair that. Brilliant. Well, let's, let's say a short prayer for Andy now. Those are points you can take home with you, but uh, let's pray now. Uh, Father God, we thank you for uh, our brother, your servant, uh, your son, Andy. Uh, Lord, for your spirit's work in him, for the conviction you've given him, uh, and the gifts and experiences and skills uh, to help pioneer and lead uh, churches, not just in this nation, but around the world, not just Church of England, but many different denominations, those who call you Lord, uh, to understand better how to be uh, good stewards of creation and good neighbors to those around us. Uh, Lord, as Andy's asked, uh, we pray that you'd give him a supernatural wisdom in how he and Sarah uh, manage their diaries, manage their time, manage their spiritual life, um, when often they're pulled apart on Sundays. Lord, give them, uh, oh gosh, Lord, by your spirit, bless them with great time together um, with you in your word, in prayer, um, at other times when Sundays won't potentially do it for them. Oh, Lord, strengthen Sarah as she uh, continues to grow into what it means to be uh, a minister of your word. Uh, and Lord, we pray uh, now ahead for Andy as he preaches to us soon, uh, that your spirit would speak through him, uh, enliven our hearts, challenge us where we need to be challenged, and comfort us where we need to be comforted. Uh, Lord, we thank you for Andy. Uh, we thank you for your spirit. Use him, we pray. Amen. Thank you. Great. Well, we'll hear you. from Andy uh, in just a moment. Um, before Mask. then, a mask. I, I haven't got it. I didn't touch there you social go. distance. Great. Uh, before Andy comes to preach, let's stand and um, we'll be have, say some liturgy uh, together for a moment. So do stand if you can. Uh, these are some words the Church of England has put together as a response to God, picking up on some great verses in Scripture from Hosea, from Isaiah, and from the Psalms. Uh, please join me in saying the, uh, the lines that say all on the screen. Uh, so let's start by saying together, The land cries out to you, O Lord. The land mourns. And all who dwell in its languish, we say together, the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and even the fish of the sea are perishing. For the earth is scorched with fire, the air polluted, and waters choked with waste. The ice melts and the seas rage, the waters surge and floods devastate the land. The water springs are silent and the streams run dry. The green places are a dry land where there is no water. The fertile ground is exhausted. The land has become a parched and windswept wasteland. The holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a desolation. So turn us again, O Lord, and come to our help. Drop down, O heavens, from above, and let righteousness rain down upon the poor. Let the earth open, and let wholeness and healing spring forth. Then the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. The mountains and hills shall break forth into singing, and the trees of the forest shall clap their hands. The land cries out to you, O Lord. Hear our prayer, Father. Amen. Uh, do take a seat as our sister Kate comes to read to us God's word before Andy proclaims to us his message. Today's reading is from um, Psalm 104, 1, then 10 to 24. Um, Psalm 104, 
verse 1, then 10 to 24. Praise the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the air nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow from the cattle and plant for men to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth. Wine that gladdens the heart of men, oil to make his face shine, and bread that sustains his heart. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There, the bird makes their nest, the stork has its home in the pine trees. The high mountains belong to the wild goats, the crocs are a refuge for conies. The moon marks off the seasons, and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey, and seek their food from God. The sun rises, and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. Then, man goes out to his work, to his labor until evening. How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning again. It's great to be back. Uh, I shouldn't really have a jacket up here, but it's got all, all sorts of mod cons in the pockets, like the clicker, and, um, although it's much too hot for it, really. So if I take it off in the middle, uh, I hope you'll forgive me. Well, thanks for introducing me already. Um, uh, I, know I don't need to say anything more about that, but perhaps I'll start with a personal story and an event, which some of you may, may well remember yourselves. In uh, 1998, just after I began at Tear Fund, working at Tear Fund, there was a huge hurricane. Uh, it hit Central America, that's the very poor bit between the United States in the north and big South America in the south, countries like Honduras, Nicaragua, El Salvador. It hit there, it dropped about uh, three months of rain onto those countries in about four days. There were huge floods, landslides, devastation. Um, 10,000 people were killed, hundreds of thousands were made homeless. It had never happened before. Um, hurricanes have happened before, but hurricanes of that size and ferocity had never happened before. At that time, 23 years ago now, it was the biggest hurricane that had ever been recorded. Monster hurricane, Hurricane Mitch. So Tear Fund sent me out to look at what had happened and to see what we could do. 
um, for the people living there. And I, I had amazing, heartbreaking and beautiful time in the tropical rainforest on the coast of Honduras with the indigenous Indian communities there, um, many of whom had been literally washed off their land. Lots of elderly people, children killed, their fields ruined, um, and, and the fish stocks in the river um, literally washed out to sea, believe it or not. Um, there was hunger, there was grief, and so on. That was shocking enough. But when we looked at the science, we realized that if this was the result of what scientists had long been predicting, that we were slowly heating our planet, and I'll come back to that, this kind of thing was going to happen much, much more often. And the efforts that people like you and me had made in putting money into the collection tin for Christian Aid or Tear Fund were actually going to be massively undermined because over many, many years, we'd been making progress in helping poorer countries develop, stand on their own feet economically, get health services up and running and so on. But if this kind of thing was now going to start to happen, we were going to be undermining decades and decades of effort by ourselves, by poor country governments, our aid budgets and so on. So I came back, looked further at the science, consulted a man who only recently died, um, but was a very strong, committed evangelical Christian, but also got the Nobel Prize for Physics. He was Sir John Horton, went on to be on the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, one of the world's leading climate scientists. And he said, yeah, the science is absolutely clear. This is going to get worse and worse unless we do something. At the moment, the world is not really doing anything about it. So I set up the climate change program at Tear Fund, which is still very much going. And then I went on to lead Friends of the Earth. And while we were there, while I was there, we got the Climate Change Act passed in the UK, the world's first uh, piece of legislation committing a national government to take action on climate change. And I've gone on from there to work at a Russia, as we've said, Christian conservation organization. So that's kind of where I'm coming from personally and professionally in working on this issue. And what's brought me here today is, as I've said earlier, we've pulled together a coalition of Christian denominations and, and, and Christian charities, including Christian Aid and Tear Fund and CAFOD, to make a very big year of 2021 <laughs> because we as Christians and churches in this country have a unique opportunity one-off, won't happen again, to do something about this issue this year. So, I will talk briefly about the biblical basis for action, but I think you've covered that in previous sermons in this series, so I won't repeat too much. And then I'll look at what's actually causing climate change, because there's a lot of people talking about climate change. You very rarely get an explanation as to what actually are we doing wrong. Um, so let me talk about that very briefly. You'll rarely hear about physics in a Sunday morning sermon. I am not a physicist. I just about scraped O-level physics. So believe me, I'm going to be putting this very simply because I'm not capable of putting it any other way. So if you're scared of physics and walked out of your first physics lesson, I massively sympathize. I will make this as fun as I can. But then we'll go on to how can churches make a difference, okay? So right-click. Where do I point it? Like that, yes. So this is really good news, first of all. Um, there's a lot of debate about climate change, a lot of stupid debate, to be honest, because the science is very, very clear. There's much less debate, I think, about what Christians should do about it. The reason being, the Bible is incredibly clear. Now, you won't hear the words, 
read the words climate change in the Bible, but neither do you read the words internal combustion engine or jet plane. There's all sorts of things that aren't actually mentioned by name in the Bible, but it's very clear from what the Bible does say what we should do. And we have a very clear, and I would say double mandate as Christians to do something about the climate change. First of all, we've got a mandate to care for God's creation. From the very first book in the Bible, we're told, God created everything on earth, and he loves it. He thinks it's good, and he wants us to care for it too. There's some beautiful passages there in Genesis 2 about man being put, and it says man, uh, for good or ill, uh, humans, we have been put um, in the garden to care for it on behalf of the Creator. Powerful, powerful lines. And the climate is, and the climate system is essential to life. It's a critical part of God's creation, which I will spell out in a minute. But secondly, we have a mandate to love our neighbor, don't we? Luke chapter 10, it's the golden rule. It's in most religions, actually but the Christianity is incredibly strong on it. Jesus saying very, very firmly, in as much as you care for one of these, you care for me. In as much as you love somebody who needs your help, you love me. That's what the passage, the Good Samaritan, is all about. And of course, what we now know is that climate change is massively damaging the life chances of poor and vulnerable people, not just in the developing world, but actually in the West too. I don't know how many of you go back far enough in your memory to 2003. Um, I was on holiday in France with a family in a cottage in Dordogne, and we were saying, blimey, it's hot. You know, France is really hot. What we didn't realize is that Europe was suffering an unprecedented heat wave, and 40,000 people died in Western Europe that summer from heat stress. 10,000 alone in France particularly elderly people locked up in their apartments in Paris while the young ones went off to the countryside. People with respiratory um, problems and just um, people with weak hearts who are killed by too much heat. That had never happened before and it's already happened twice since. That is climate change. That is global warming. It's killing people now. We cannot love our neighbor if we are contributing and doing nothing about what is actually killing our neighbor. And killing some of us, potentially. That's scary, but it's quite simple. We have a double mandate to do something about this massive environmental problem. But I think that's quite hopeful. We should all be really confident that as part of our normal Christian mission, it's absolutely fine to care about these issues. More than fine, we're being asked to do so, not by Andy Atkins or O'Neill, but actually from the start of the Bible, God says, I've made this stuff. I love this stuff. I want you to love it too. It's qu quite okay. Let's look a little bit then um, at, and I just want to touch on one thing. So people say, but haven't we always had ice ages and stuff like this? Absolutely right, we have. There are natural fluctuations in the world's climate. It's to do with um, distance from the sun, um, are very, very infinitesimally slow changes in the Earth's orbit around the sun. That's always happened. That's why we have um, uh, ice ages and so on. We're not talking about that. What we're talking about now is an incredibly rapid rise in the Earth's temperature just in the last 200 years, which is over and above that natural cycle, okay? So, so no one is saying we didn't have ice ages before, there hasn't been natural global warming and cooling. That exists. 
This is unnatural global warming caused by us. Okay, that's what we're talking about. So let's talk about the, the, the causes. And I want to talk about another miracle of God's creation. I bet none of you have ever thought of it like that. I didn't think about it like that until recently either. We see it every single day. If we walked outside this building now, looked up, we would see, what would we see? The sky. Little did you and I know that without what's in that sky, we would be sitting on a rock in space completely covered in ice. Earth would be totally uninhabitable. It would be too cold. So what on earth is going on up there that makes this planet habitable? What's going on is that the Earth's atmosphere is a very thin layer. It's like an envelope, a duvet, round our planet. And the mix of gases in that atmosphere keeps us at just the right temperature to grow food, to be able to sit here with not too many clothes on, not fry and not freeze either. It keeps us the sea level at a certain level, so there's enough land for food, and so on and so on. What they now know is that that layer of atmosphere, it's only about eight miles wide, less than between here and Cobham. Think about it like that, unbelievably thin layer around our planet in the vast infinity of space. What happens in there is there's a mix of gases that keeps us at exactly the right temperature. Okay? However, some of those gases retain heat. And when the light comes in from outer space, from the sun, it gets converted to heat by the atmosphere to keep us cool. Well, to keep us warm, in fact, sorry. Some of it is let back out into the atmosphere. And if it wasn't, we would rapidly boil. Too much would be trapped on the inside. We would go from freezing to boiling. Some of these gases, now called greenhouse gases, for obvious reasons, they have now discovered trap more heat than we need. Those gases are naturally occurring gases, carbon, nitrogen dioxide, methane, and so on. Naturally occurring. There's nothing wrong with them in the right place. They're created by God too. But when we burn fossil fuels, coal, gas, oil, which are in fact composed of these gases, we release vast quantities of it into the atmosphere. And what has mankind been doing for the last 200 years since the Industrial Revolution? We've been burning vast quantities of coal, oil, and gas to power our economies, our transport, heat our homes, generate electricity. And many of us, all of us here in this room, have benefited from that also. Thank God for it. We would not have many of the things we now have without that advance in our economies. But little did we know that we were also having this incredibly damaging effect on the atmosphere. Okay? So that's actually what's gone on. The physics is really quite simple. You know, just like when you walk into your kitchen in the morning, you put water in your kettle, you switch it on. You don't necessarily know what's going on, how many ions and electrons are reacting with each other to give you hot water. But you have confidence that when you switch on that button, various matters of science are going to produce you hot water. Think of the Earth's atmosphere the same way. It's incredible. We don't need to know all the details. I've given you just a very potted view of it. But as sure as eggs is eggs, if we put too many greenhouse gases into that atmosphere, we heat ourselves up. And the theory is not new. It was actually posited as a theory about 150 years ago by a theoretical physicist. He figured out that if we do this and this, we will probably heat up. Little did we know that we were going to start to do it incredibly quickly in historical time from the start of the Industrial Revolution. So that's what's going on. The physics is complex, 
but not um, incomprehensible, particularly to physicists. So I need to tell you that so you understand what the solutions are. So if we're causing this by burning too much fossil fuel, and if we're causing this also by clearing land that absorbs these gases from the atmosphere, forests, um, grasslands, wetlands, marshes, and so on. Peat, for example, in, your, in an average Northern Irish bog is stuffed full of carbon that has been taken out of the atmosphere and stored away. It's beautiful. It's natural. It's incredibly helpful that trees and, and, and marshes and so on can store this stuff safely away. But at the same time as we've been burning vast quantities of fossil fuel, we have also been clearing vast quantities of land for farming, for roads, for cities, and so on. So if that's the problem, the solution actually is quite simple. Stop burning fossil fuel, stop burning coal, gas, and oil, and switch to renewable energies. That's a whole other study there, but actually we have now got all sorts of renewable technologies, wave, wind, solar, and so on. And in fact, the UK is the largest single, has the largest single installed capacity, as they called it, of wind power anywhere in the world. We are leaders in offshore wind power. So it can be done. We need to restore land. We need to manage our farmland. We need to replant forests. We need to re-wet the wetlands. And again, in case you think that's just a theory, China, if it gets a very bad press, has restored hundreds of thousands of acres of forest in the north of their country. It can be done. What is lacking is political will to do it at the scale and at the pace that we need, which is why the G8 summit this weekend and the COP conference in November is so, so critical for um, solving this problem because it needs international decisions, as well as countries to follow suit. So, you may ask, what has any of this got to do with the church? This is where I think it gets seriously interesting. Why do you think governments move on issues? They move on issues because they feel the public wants them to. So until the public says, we want you to move fast and furious on this issue, they are not going to move at the pace we all need them to move. Now, the churches are a sector of society that has huge potential influence. A, because they can do something practically themselves, and it's really important out of integrity. I think that we do. We don't just tell other people what to do. We do it ourselves. So look at what we can do. We've got buildings. We've got land. Here we are in Christchurch. Lovely building and some, a little bit of land outside. Every single church with a building and land can do something to reduce the amount of greenhouse gases it takes to heat or cool that building. They can manage their land in a way that is good for trapping greenhouse gases or is bad and is good for nature, other nature, wildlife. Then there's expenditure. Every single church spends money or it closes down. Whether it's on your tea or coffee in the morning when we're allowed to have it again, or whether it's on building refurbishment. You can spend that money in a way that advances, addresses climate change by going for low carbon options on your heating, by going for fair trade tea and coffee, which is also produced in a way that's good for the environment. Anything you buy can be done in a way or be bought in a way that is better for the environment or worse. Critically, we've also got local links. We don't exist in a vacuum. This church is made up of people who live where? Here, locally, in the community. So churches have a huge potential to actually 
encourage and demonstrate the right kind of behaviors to others, and also to be humble enough to learn from others, because there'll be many other people out there in the community who aren't Christians, who don't come to church, but who get this and are also trying to do something. It's a massive opportunity to link up with others in the community, to work together for God's creation, and to witness to those who aren't Christians, as well as to learn, if we're humble enough, from people who aren't Christians but know much more than we are, we do, about this stuff. And then there's national voice. Whether we like it or not, the Church of England has 20 bishops in the House of Lords. We are inbuilt to the government of this country. We also have many, many coalitions now by which we can speak up together on key issues. So, give you a potted view, the churches and Christians, that includes you and me here today, have huge influence as a sector of society that others do not have, but we hardly use it. I think now is the time to realize the assets God has given us, including our own voice, our own vote, our own ability to link with our own community to demonstrate powerfully our love of God's creation. So, to round up, how does this come back to Climate Sunday? What is Climate Sunday about? I think you all get now, and if you didn't before I came here, you will understand why it's important we act on climate change. But as we've already heard from others in the prayers and so on, this year, in November, the UK is hosting what's called COP26, it's a terrible name. All it means is it's the Conference of the Parties to the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change. You can understand why people just shorten it to COP26. It's the 26th one of those conferences since the convention came in at the Rio Summit. Who remembers the Rio Summit, 1992? Big fuss about it all of the time. That's where that convention comes from, 1992, and every year the members meet together to decide what they're gonna do next. This year, it is absolutely critical because about two years ago, a report came out that said, give or take a year or so, we've got about 10 years as humanity, 10 years only, to turn around our emissions of carbon dioxide and those other greenhouse gases and get them going down very, very fast if we are to have a fighting chance of heading off catastrophic climate change which could render much of the world completely uninhabitable in only 50 years' time. That is not science fiction. This is real. And if you go to places like Honduras, they will say, well, it's already catastrophic for us. What are you talking about? And it was already catastrophic for them 20 years ago when they were hit by Hurricane Mitch. We are protected to some degree because we are rich. Time, I'm afraid, is very, very short. And we have to face up to this as Christians. Okay, so what we're doing with Climate Sunday is this. We're saying actually there is hope here. There's lots of hope here. We as Christians believe in the power of prayer. We believe in loving our neighbor. We believe in caring for God's creation. This is a huge opportunity this year for Christians in this country to do three things. And here they are. One, hold a service of worship to understand what climate change is about to praise God for his creation and to commit to loving it more. And loving it more means enjoying it too. Get out and sniff the flowers, look at the sky, enjoy a walk in the woods. That's okay. God loves his creation. We can love it too and enjoy it. And we're doing that this morning. So tick, you've done the worship one. That's this morning. The second thing we're asking you to do is to make a commitment as a church to what you will do next practically. 
So a very simple thing is this. If you are already part of the eco-church scheme, let's say you've got a bronze award, just say, well, I think Christchurch has, you could say, well, why don't we get to silver in the next 18 months? Or you might want to commit to something else, but that would be a logical thing to do. Just make your own commitment to what you're going to do on this issue. But really importantly, register it on that website. We, Christchurch in Surbiton, commit to doing the following. I'll explain why in a minute. And the third thing we ask you to do is to speak up, use your voice, and sign something called the Time Is Now Declaration. You can find it on the website where we're asking everybody in the country, individuals and organizations, to call upon the government to go much further faster on climate change in this country before it hosts that COP summit, because it'll give, it, give us much more credibility as leaders of that summit if we are doing the right things in Britain. And Britain is doing many of the right things, but frankly, it's also doing many of the wrong things too. We may be way ahead on wind farms. We are massively behind on other things, like in the interest of building back better after COVID, it has been announced that there will be a 27 billion pound road building program. Frankly, it's the last thing we need. It will carve up even more of our carbon sinks, knock down even more of our forests, create even more pollution on the road by putting more cars on the road. It's the last thing we need. So we really need pressure on the government to spend our money of recovering from COVID in ways that enhance the environment, not make it worse, okay? So that we can do by signing the Time Is Now Declaration, which is up there, sorry, I'm pointing at my screen here, on the right, speak up. Any individual can sign this, but we're also asking churches to do, very importantly. So, I know you're already at bronze as Christchurch. It's up to you what you do next, but a logical thing would be to go to silver. Write it up there as a commitment. Likewise, after this service, maybe somebody who's official from the church, I'm looking at Neil here, can say, we officially sign that declaration, but individuals can do it too. What happens next? In Glasgow, on the 5th of September, in Glasgow Cathedral, there will be a national climate Sunday. All over the, all over the country, churches like Christchurch are this morning are holding their own climate Sundays on different dates and so on. That doesn't matter. But on the 5th of uh, September, just six weeks before the COP, there'll be a national one in Glasgow Cathedral where we will be handing to the government all of the commitments that churches have made and the signatories of all of the churches that have signed the Time Is Now Declaration. It'll be the biggest witness ever in this country of churches saying to the government, we are prepared to do this in our local church to take action ourselves, and we want you and we encourage you and we support you as our government to go much, much further yourself. So that's what Climate Sunday is about. A thousand services have already happened. You could be the thousand and first. I don't know. Our data doesn't collect it quite that precisely. There'll probably be 1,100 at the end of today. It is rapidly growing, and we are hoping there will be several thousand by the time we get to that COP summit. So thank you for being a part of it. I'll just leave you with one thought. And I was talking to Steve about this uh, as we set up this morning. I think we have a loving God who also responds to our commitments. And if the church here in Surbiton or over there in Ham, where Sarah is, or anywhere else, is demonstrating its love of creation, which also benefits our neighbor, I am absolutely convinced that that will revitalize the church itself. 
because what could possibly be more important as a way of um, demonstrating our service to the community than actually loving creation and inviting all of the community to take part in that, serving the community by protecting what we all ultimately depend on. And I think there's a lot of evidence that is already happening as churches take very, very seriously this double mandate to care for creation because God made it and loves it and to care for our neighbor, among other ways, by also caring for creation. So I look very much forward to working with you as Christ Church in my official capacity as well as my unofficial one um, in the weeks and months ahead and to see where this goes. Please pray for the Climate Sunday Initiative. You've already prayed for me leading it. I really appreciate that. It's, it's a huge privilege. Uh, it is a responsibility too. And I will keep in touch with you as to where that goes. I look forward to hearing where you go with this. God bless you with your endeavors on this. And if any of the material we've got at the back is helpful to you, please do um, take anything that interests you because there's magazines. Some of you already get this privately, I know. We have magazines from Arosha on different subjects like climate change, what churches can do on nature, nature and mental health and so on. So please just grab one. Um, and also if you want to sign up for the Wild Christian Program, which I've talked about, which is Arosha's way of helping you do this as individuals and families, not just as a church. Please, please do. It's free. We won't hassle you for money. It's a service we provide. Okay? God bless you all. Um, and... Uh, Let's have fun, I think that's the best way to put it, actually caring for God's creation because environmentalists have made people feel miserable for much, much too long. And as a Christian environmentalist, I like to start and end by saying God's creation is absolutely wonderful. If you love someone, the first thing you want to do is to be with them, isn't it? Actually, it's okay to love God's nature by being out in it and enjoying it and marveling at it and praising him for it, as the psalmist did this morning in Psalm 104. So before we wear ourselves out in frantic action, scary though climate change is, I think it's really important we regularly enjoy God's nature and remind ourselves of why he loves it and let that enjoyment and praise of him give us the motivation to actually act on it in faith and courage now. So please, after this service, go out and smell a flower. That's where I'd like you to start, okay? Or something equivalent. Thank you. We're actually going to respond uh, right now by having our creation care team come forwards and just identify a little bit about what we're doing in response to this stuff. take the mask off. <laughs> thank you, Andy. That was really encouraging. And also, thank you for making the physics simple, because I was serious rubbish at school with that. So, <laughs> great. We're your creation care team. I'm Lucy. This is Andy and Graham. And um, we're recognising that when God's creation is in this moment in history and our calling as disciples, we want to encourage all of us to respond in two ways. Individually, 
by prayerfully considering how we can be good stewards and good neighbours. Using resources on our website can help, but also as a whole church family by setting forth our creation care commitment. So I get the reading bit. Um, so this is going to get sent around to everybody, and um, Graham will explain a little bit in a second about um, how you can read this in detail, and it's up on screen as well. Um, but, but you get a chance to consider this. Um, so our creation care commitment. We, the leaders, PCC and Congregation of Christ Church Service and Hill, publicly declare that the current climate and environmental emergency we will commit to speaking up and playing our part of protecting and restoring God's creation as part of becoming whole life disciples of Christ. We make this declaration because the world is God's creation. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. We are called by God to look after and enjoy creation, to be gardeners, to sit in the cool of the garden, to walk by still waters. The world is facing a severe crisis of environmental degradation and climate change. And the main cause of that crisis is human activity, which hurts ourselves, other people, and our relationship with God. The crisis is inextricably linked to global injustices and people suffering poverty, famine, and displacement from their homes. And this crisis indicates a failure of us to follow God's mission for us to care for the world and each other. We live in a beautiful world, a gift from a loving God. Looking after creation is part of discipleship, following Jesus and being more like him, as all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We will share the good news of creation, speak for justice, and to take action in God's strength. And therefore, we commit ourselves to continue to promote and teach about creation care as part of the good news of Jesus Christ and our discipleship. Make changes in our lives, our families, our workplaces, and our communities making creation care part of whole life discipleship. Deliver on a practical action plan of changes at Christ Church, including achieving the Silver Eco Church, Eco Church Award by 2023 and becoming carbon neutral by 2030. Support and work with good mission partners such as Arosha and Tear Fund and community organizations across Surbiton and Kingston. And use whatever influence we may have to bring about positive actions by government and by corporations. So this is um, more of a draft of a commitment, and we really want your involvement and, and include you in, in this commitment. And uh, we've put together a, a short survey that, um, if we go to the next slide, please, that is on that really cool QR code that uh, Anil did for us. Um, and it's also on the link from Friday's email newsletter. Um, so if you've got some time to now or, or sometime today, jump on and just share your thoughts and uh, become part of uh, this commitment. And then in two weeks' time, on the 27th, we're going to be finally committing and declaring that commitment. Um, and uh, we just look forward to your involvement going forward in, in helping us with, uh, with this call. So thank you very much. And I just want to say thank you. We have had one response already. Um, to, on e by email to um, Fridays by putting this on the news seat. So that's really great. That was a very quick response, and thank you very much. Thank you.